the JTAP podcast, episode 20. Send it. I can do that. JTAX. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. I think this is going to be a fantastic viewpoint on our community for sure. Jeff, uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, just so everyone's tracking, everyone's opinion on here is their own, not that of any organization. And we're just here for some lighthearted uh, unveiling of uh, what is a very tight community. Um, Jeff, just so everyone can get some sort of perspective of where you're coming from, you take it when you were young, what education wise and sports, um, up to the point where you uh, bumped into a recruiter. Okay. Yeah. I love this one. So, um, grew up in, you know, a Southeastern part of Idaho. So small town. Um, <clears throat> I knew I wanted to be a military guy from the very beginning and I thought I'd, I'd want to be a pilot first. So I thought about being a pilot, thought about being a pilot. Um, <clears throat> so growing up sports wise, you know, I'm a football guy and track. So I ran, you know, a couple different events in track. Um, I can't say that me being on the track team wasn't because I wanted to, you know, be around a bunch of girls and stuff like that kind of standard thing, you know? Um, so it wasn't, I wasn't too much of a troublemaker, but kind of, I was the kind of guy that, um, you know, maybe, um, parents would warn their kids about a little bit. Um, so, uh, that's what it looked like. So small family outside, outside type kids, you know, went out hunting and fishing a lot. I still do that. Hopefully going later today, just got a fishing boat. So that's what I do, man. That's what I like to do. I like to be out in the woods. Uh, I like to be, um, like to be challenging myself out there as much as I can. Yeah. So, so, you know, about the time I was a junior or senior in high school, though, I I knew college wasn't going to work for me. You know, like normal people, you know, go to college. My buddies are talking about going. I knew they were just going to, I knew they were just going to take their parents' money and buy beer and stuff like that. So, and dope and whatever else. So I, I started really looking at, you know, what's cool to me. What was cool is being a green beret. You know, that's like, holy crap, that's the coolest thing you can do. You know, so I started hatching a plan. I was going to go uh, do the. Uh, 12 Bravo thing. So for us uh, over here, that was combat engineer. I think it still is that same thing. And then my plan was I'm going to go to selection, totally crush selection. And then, you know, I'm going to do so well. They're going to ask me what I want to do after that. And I'm going to be an 18 Charlie, which is a special forces engineer. So that was my plan. So I, you know, no recruiter came after me, man. I went after them. So yeah, I ran, I ran over, I was harassing these guys and finally said, come in, sit down, let's talk, you know, when they figured I was old enough to do it. So that's what I did. And I sat down and talked to them and, and uh, got all signed up for the army. And I left uh, for basic training two weeks after I graduated from high school. So that was that, man. That was that. I was you, on my way. Was there, what's the spark that like fires that up? Is this, have you got family in the military? Yeah, Is a long history of service? I do. So yeah, I, you know, this question too. So starting kind of my immediate family, my oldest son did three years in the army already as a combat engineer as well. Um, so you name it, my twin brother, he served, he's over in Bosnia. I've had, you know, my wife's family. Uh, she's got a green beret in the family. She's got a grandfather who was in the second Marine Raider battalion in world war two you know, Guadalcanal type stories. Um, I've got, you know, my grandfather was a, uh, was on an aircraft carrier in World War II. Um, 
the Intrepid, which is sitting in New York right now. And I've been to that and walked right past where he worked, you know, while he was, uh, while he was serving during World War II, World War II on that ship. So it was pretty cool. My uncles, um, you know, I, I could go on and on. We've got a ton of military background in the family, so it's really good. And I married into, which I'm going to segue into in a second, but my, my wife's family as well, her father, her uncles, uh, her father served in Vietnam. So that's kind of a great it's nice to talk to him once in a while, totally different perspective on what those guys are doing and kind of what they go through now. You know, he's an agent orange um, survivor and that's caused him tons of problems throughout his life, but he's never let that, you know, get in his way from what he wants to get done. So it, it's really cool, man. So um, that's what I, so that's what I did. Uh, I listened to those guys. Was there, uh, talk to me in the military. Like, did they tell you a lot of stories? Yeah. Tons of stories. I knew, and I knew I was going to be in the military from the time I was two. Man, there was no question about it. So there was no, there was no kind of aha moment or spark or anything. I, ha- I was born with it, brother. So here I am. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, so you, obviously, you're going into the pipeline and uh, and stuff like that. Can you tell us about how you absolutely? Crushed oh yeah. It? Oh yeah. Dude, sure. So yeah. So obviously, you join up and you go in there and you're crushed. Yeah. It. So I, you know, I'd only been. I went to the regular army for about a year. And I was in a mechanized engineer, which I knew right away was not for me, right? Because um, I, I wanted to carry my own shit because that, that seems, you know, that's brilliant. I want to I live outside and not be in a vehicle. And um, so my wife, so I'm brand new married to this smoking hottie named Jenny. I'm still married to the same lady. I can't believe she's put up with me for this long and all the stuff that I've done, you know. But I was talking to her and I said, hey, I, I want to try this Green Beret thing. You know, go, go give it a shot. And she said, my uncle was a Green Beret. And that, you know. That to me, it's, it sparked me up. I, then I went and sought out a recruiter and I uh, went to selection. And boy, I didn't crush it, man. I lied to you earlier. <laughs> I don't know who crushes something like that. But you know, you start off with my class, we start off with 352 dudes, you know, and you, you know how selection selections like that work right off the bat. There's guys that show up and say, uh oh, I'm not supposed to be here, you know. So it's, you start thinning out the herd pretty quick. But by the end of it, you know, um, selection is different now from what I understand, you know, this is, we're talking like late nineties here. Um, the last hard. Yeah. Course. The last hard. That's the one we did, but you know, by the end of it, there's 50 of us left and they divide you into groups. I can't, you know, I don't want to give anything away about selection, but I thought it was awesome, man. You know, they're telling you, Hey, you got to show up at this point at this time, be in this uniform and you don't know anything else. Follow the cones, you know, through this, uh, you're going to run, uh, this sandy trail in the middle of the woods in North Carolina and do your best. Can you don't know how long the run is going to be. And what's cool is the other thing, the cool thing I think they do is they keep people there that have failed like two weeks ago. <laughs> so you can never be happy just being in front of one guy. Cause you don't know if you failed already, you know? So you got to be first, you got to be first in all, on all cases. And I thought it was awesome. I thrived with that, but yeah, by the end of it, man, I was a total wad. I mean, you can ask my wife, I got off the airplane, so I was, I was successful. And I told myself, man, this is going to be a theme. I was, I will not fail. And to me, when I say I will not fail, I mean, I will, I will literally die before I quit. That's what I meant. And, you know, I've almost, I've almost proved that a couple of times throughout my life, you know, but I, that's what I said. I'm, I, I will not freaking quit. I'll, I'll die first. And it felt good to be going back home from, you know, North Carolina successful. They split you into two groups at the very end. They call a bunch of names over to another group and you're like, guys going over to that group, some of them are good dudes and some of them are wads, you know? And you think, 
well, which group am I in? Am I the good am I a good dude or am I a wad? But then you have one of these awesome Green Beret dudes come in. You know, you know what I'm talking about. This guy comes up to you, he's an instructor. He looks like a Green Beret, you know, just a badass. And he looks at you and says, Congratulations, gentlemen, you passed selection. Just everybody's cheering and stuff. You know, there's only 20 of us or so out of the original group of 350 plus, you know. And uh so that that was pretty cool. It was a good feeling. It's good to call my wife and tell her that I was successful, you know. But I got off the airplane. Man, I am like my, you know, first your feet get blisters and you start walking funny. So your feet hurt, then your ankles, then your knees. And I was just a complete wad. And I'm glad I did it when I was so young because, man, you could see, I sort of got to see the bones in my feet through all the blisters and everything else. And I still have scars on my lower back from my kidney pad, you know. So it wasn't easy, but, you know, I, I, I never, uh, I never, um, I never thought for a second that I wasn't going to make it. You know, I knew I, I knew I was. So, uh. yeah, that mindset is everything. And I think that uh, you hear that time and again. It's like if you've got the mindset to win, you're going to you're going to you're going to win. Or certainly, totally. you know, you've set you're setting yourself up for success. And um, so obviously you've absolutely crushed. Searching, oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, you've come out the other yep. side of it with no scars at all um, with your body in the way it is. How does that look like? Like what's that manifest itself into like? Once you're on a team. Uh, so this is the cool part. Then you go through, at least in our system, you go through the rest of the qualification course. And it's a year. For me, it was another year and a half worth of stuff. You've got individual specialized training to go through, which, you know, even in the 18 Charlie, the engineer uh, side of things, there's a ton of stuff, man. And you can't have a bad day because you'll get washed out. So the, the attrition continues, even though you're in that course. So it's a year and a half. So, you know, then at the time you do the rest of your qualification training, you do Robin Sage, you do language training, you do seer school. And, you know, you've learned a bunch of stuff by this point. You're a badass. So you show up on your first team and you, you're a nothing <laughs> all over again. <laughs> They're like, shut up, yeah. go over there, unpack your shit. Don't talk to us until we talk to you kind of a thing. So you know what I'm talking about there. And, um, but you know, I, I wound up on an ODA uh, one seven six, which uh, if you know what I'm talking about, it's an SOT team. So specialized in, you know, taking down buildings, planes, trains, and automobiles. And in American Special Forces, you could tell me to shut up at any point if you already know what I'm talking about. But each team, you know, like there's a company and you've got, you know, now I think it's eight teams. Then it was six teams. Each team specializes in something else. You know, free fall guys, the SOT guys, the water guys, the mountain guys. But we all cross train with each other. And it's freaking awesome. Because when I talk about like, the mountain guys i'm talking about world-class climbers guys who go they go do everest they go do stuff like that freaking heroes man and if you want to act you know if i can frame it up you know what does it manifest itself into you open the door that first time and you walk down a, and uh you know for me it was alpha company uh third battalion first special forces group up in fort lewis you walk down that hallway and it is it is humbling, brother, because those are heroes that walk up and down those hallways. It is crazy. Straight out of, you know, the coolest book you've ever read. Those are the guys you're working with, you know. And it's, I can't tell you, man, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing to be around them. Just, even now, dude, I talk to them. I'm, you know, I text them or something or somebody will text me and I'm, oh, man, I'm special enough for this guy. You know, he texts him. He's a freaking hero, dude. <laughs> like, I don't deserve this shit. It's awesome. But that's what it manifests. It, and, you know. And it doesn't stop, brother. You get to a team and your foot's on the gas because you don't know anything. You know, you're, you're, you're flowing rooms the very first time. They don't let you do it with live. I mean, you don't know shit, you know, so you got to be taught. So 
you know, we're cross training each other. There's tons of cool schools going on. It was just, that's you know, what I loved about that, that lifestyle is it's, oh, there's always something going on. Monday, we're going to do, we're going to shoot mortars all day. Uh, Tuesday, we're going to do a free fall into a drop zone, you know, and then we're going to do an 18, you know, 18 mile rut to a range. We're going to shoot all day. We're going to shoot all night. The next day we're doing underwater demo, you know, it's just, it's just cool stuff. So totally kept, totally yeah. kept my attention for a minute. So, <laughs> so you've done like a number of years in that and, and that's it that's obviously we can just dive into that podcast I know, another I, time dude, but please have me back i'd love to talk to you again about all that stuff i've got a we, story we'll definitely do that one hard next time but where i i want to take a little canter to is how in your mind do you shift from being in such a pattern of life of like I'm skydiving this day. I'm blowing this up underwater this day. And you know what? Forget that. I'm going to go drive. Okay. So like, remember when I said back when we first started talking to me ago, I wanted to be a pilot. I hadn't quite let that go in my brain. So me and my yeah. wife, I've got two kids by this point, little guys, uh, my smoking hot wife, Jenny, we're sitting in our apartment in Fort Lewis one day. And I heard this noise outside and it's the Thunderbirds. They're warming up for a show over on, um, McCourt, which is hooked right onto Fort Lewis there. And that second I said, I got to go try to do that. I got to go try to do it. I'm not worried so much about age waivers, stuff like that. Cause I'm a pretty young dude at this point. I'm gonna, I, but I got to try, you know? So I, again, I talked to my wife and I say, hon, what do you think? I'm going to go, I'm going to try this thing. She said, yes, go do it. So I started digging, you know, on how to do it. Um, started putting the pieces together, went to college on the base. You know, I did night classes. I did distance learning stuff. I did all, you know, different kind of qualification tests. So I'm putting the pieces together to put in an application somewhere, but I knew I needed a degree. So I'm getting that done. And, you know, and then we have another kid, you know, so I'm deploying, you know, deploying, doing standard Green Beret stuff during the week, you know, normal stuff that every guy does. And I'm going to school at night. So I'm kind of burning the candle on if it had three ends, I'm doing that. But I'm putting together because, man, I'm like, I, I can do this. Because once I saw what was in front of me, I saw the pieces. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, I can put that together. That's no problem. And who's not going to love me when I go interview, you know? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so I put, I put that stuff together and I go interview. Uh, I found out about the, um, the guard, you know, so I could pretty much get what I wanted. And that was, that was important to me because, you know, kind of where I wanted to live, you know, that's how the air guard works. You, there's an airplane and it's parked in one place, you know, and um, for me, it happened to be Idaho and it happened to be the A-10, but the A-10 was important to me, you know, because I was an army guy and I had a lot of exposure to the A-10 by that point. You know, I did, I was a Green Beret. I did all this stuff for like eight years. So put those pieces together, um, interviewed, crushed that. I was obviously their top candidate. I'm just kidding, man. I don't know if I was or not, but... <laughs> I, I got the gig dude so, good enough again you know i i got the gig and left i got stop lost you know that's about the time stop loss was happening for us so um i year pins and needles w wondering if i was even going to be able to get out of the army if i was going to be able to go to pilot training if i was going to be able to do this so luckily a couple things one the guys who you know offered me the job to begin with kept their word and kept me on and two you know a lot of encouragement from my my wife and my friends and family mostly you know most of my wife I talk about her a lot but you know even today you know like today i'm talking about this morning she's um she's supportive and you know awesomely helpful and she could be a green beret or a pilot any day but anyway i um 
dude, I get the pieces put together, do the interview and I get the gig. So we're moving down to Texas and I'm going through pilot training, you know, and for me, it was just, you know, friggin' dream come true right away. My first ride ever in a tweet, you know, I'm look over at my instructor. And I said, he says, is there anything you want to do after we do the normal stuff? The tweets, the little twin engine jet trainer. I said, I want to, I want to do a loop. And he goes, okay, <laughs> here we go. So we're <laughs> off to it, man. We're off doing the pilot thing. And, um, not to derail your interview too much, but it just kept getting better. So, you know, I'm T-37s, T-38s. And then you're in a thing called Introduction to Fighter Fundamentals. You learn how to be a fighter pilot, a little baby fighter pilot, singing fighter songs and drinking whiskey and flying in formation and dropping bombs, you know. And then you go to the A-10, brother, and I can't even tell you, man. Like, it's imposing, too. It's just a beast, you know, the first time you walk up. But the training's really good, you know. And um, it was – I had so much fun during A-10 school. You know, we, we went. It's down there in Tucson. And you're just ripping around, you know, 500 feet. You're strafing everything. You're dropping bombs. You're shooting rockets. Drinking beer with your bros. It's just, um, it was awesome, man. It was, a, it was really, it was, I was exactly where I needed to be. So it was really good. I think what's uh, something, obviously, I've had these conversations with you guys in the bar. But what I think is acutely interesting about the A-10 is, obviously, when you get first in a plane, you like you said, there's an instructor next to you. And then, the net, when you get into the next aircraft, there's an instructor and there's an instructor, but you get to the A10, and it's like there's like two two seaters in existence. So yeah. like you're never seeing one of them unless nope. you're on the demo team. Nope. So it's like um, just one of a dream of an aircraft it is to fly. And the first it's like there's your plane, go get in it. Day yeah. One. Well, I mean, you walk all the way up the stinking ladder. If you want to talk about that for a second, you walk up the ladder. Here's the thing, though, man. You've done a ton by this point. You've done a ton of simulators. You've run through all the emergencies, you know, and you're a pilot. You've been flying. So this whole flying shit is not new. So you get in that thing and there's that confidence, but you start up the motors. It kind of sounds like the simulator, but there's some things going on in there that the simulator can't, you know, replicate. One of those things is the taxi. Like if you talk to another A-10 guy, the brakes, when you first start learning, you know, you're trying to steer the little nose wheel along the yellow line and get to where you're supposed to be, but you're using your brakes and that thing wants to taxi really fast. So if you're not real even with the brakes, the thing starts lurching from side to side. And pretty soon, you know, you look like this, like you're drunk, man. You're swerving <laughs> all over the taxiways. You know, sometimes you're carrying live bombs and shit. So I don't know what people are thinking is going on over there. But uh, it is imposing. But I'll tell you, man, you line up, you know, it's all nerves. You line up the first time. You, you uh, get going the speed you're supposed to go. You pull the stick back. She starts flying. And pilot instinct takes over. And it's great, man. What's cool about the A-10 is it's just such an easy airplane to fly. It's so nice. Um, and that kind of manifests, manifests itself into stuff later where you're handling multiple, you're tracking a single car through the middle of Baghdad. You know what I mean? Holy shit. That's the hardest thing I've ever done in a tent. I'm talking to you guys. I think it was, I think it was, um, I think it was, uh, Brit JTAX. I was talking to it. Like they're watching my Rover feed and I'm doing this great job following this vehicle, but they don't know that I'm head to toe covered in sweat. I do not yeah. want to lose this guy. So the A-10 being easy to fly helps with shit like that. The other thing it helps with, you know, is obviously delivering weapons and stuff, man, strafing. Like, I'm, I'm not going to strafe that close to you guys, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do some of the things I do unless that airplane is just a sweetheart to fly. And that's what it is, you know. So you learn how to fly that. And kind of the cool part about the A-10, too, is you day one, it's a cast mindset. There's nothing else. There's other, um, you know, we'll branch away from close air support, and we'll do – forward air control which is you know an obvious function but you know and then combat search and rescue which is another obvious function but it's close air sport it's talking to it's talking to somebody on the ground 
and getting that stuff where it needs to be. And that's like, that's the, I mean, that's the best man I can tell. You. We'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But anyway. Yeah. I just think, yeah, that mindset in, in the A10 is something you notice when you're a very young JTAC all the way through, you know, you're just like, these guys think the same way as me. Like they're coming up there, the way they're working through the problem and the solution. It's very easy to get them to run alongside you. You know, let's, let's do this mathematical equation together. Let's do this together. Let's do that. And, you know, whoever gets there first will back brief the other guy. And I've always found that with the A10 crews, they think the same way as you and you're just running for the same solution. It's just who's doing the, the equation the quickest. That's What's that? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm trying to derail your whole interview. Gee whiz. No, no, you do it, man. I love it. I love, it's so much easier if I just listen to you talk. Um, I was going to say, what does it look like for you now? Sorry, so now you're in the aircraft. I was in, in the conversation, not right, right now in your chair, but uh, when you're in the aircraft, what does that look like for a CAS sortie for you? How do you run the cockpit? How's it set up? Yeah, so I mean, you're, um, so the rate, the one thing about the A10 too, you've got, a shitload of radios, you know, so you can, if you want to drive yourself crazy, have all four of them squawking at the same time, or you can start to kind of minimize who you're talking to and who, who needs to talk to who. So pretty much I'm turning up the loudest volume wise. And this is literally not figuratively are you guys, you know, JTAC. So I'm talking to you first kind of turned down in the background is my wingman, you know, typically if I'm just running a two ship type of close air support thing. So I'm, uh, you know, if you're talking about a typical type Afghanistan sortie, it, it completely depends you know you show up and it's hey we're looking at this point we're looking at this point we're going to go get gas we're going to look at another point so you never get all fired up but then there's the other ones where you get a call and it's you know it happens when you least freaking expect it brother so i'm sitting there i'm in an a10 i'm single ship uh eastern afghanistan my um wingman i've sent him to go look at some other points while i take care of this what i'm doing and a voice cuts in on the radio, and I can't say the call sign probably because I'm, I'm sure it's classified, but they key the mic just out of nowhere. It's quiet. I'm eating some beef jerky, just having a good time looking at rocks, and this guy cuts in, and it's all hell is breaking loose over there. Bullets <laughs> pinging off his truck, you know, and he's just asking for another JTAC. Hey, any JTAC out there, if you have an airplane, send it to me. And I said, I have an airplane. <laughs> Where are you going <laughs> And right, you know, and then, like you said, we're putting the pieces together, like doing the back brief and stuff. That's what I, I pride myself. And I think a lot of A-10 guys do. But my thing is, I want to be the most efficient at that. And not just procedurally, we're checking the blocks so I can go shoot stuff. No, I want to check. I want to be quick. I want to be thinking what you're thinking. So when you're talking, I'm putting the pieces together. I'm a step ahead because I know what you're going to ask me next. And I want to have that answer for you right now. And I want to ask you specific things that are going to make it easier for me when I show up overhead and my guns are armed. You know, my gun is armed. I got white FOSS rockets armed. My fangs are out, brother. Someone's, someone's going to get shot. <laughs> I want there to be zero question about what's going on, you know. So you see me pop out of the clouds and I put out a flare. I want to do, a, well, I want to do 1270 and I want to be killing bad guys before they can get away. Um, not to offend, you know, the... the uh, Talking about that kind of stuff, you know, offend some people. So I don't want to offend anybody, but that's what it's about. You know, it's about yeah. saving the good guys, you know, so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, you touching on the, the that mind of like running to where the next thing is. What I always say to the young guys when we're teaching them, I was like, I know this sounds cheesy, but it's like a dance. And if you can learn the steps, which are the basic skills that we're teaching you now, guess what? The guy on the other end of the radio knows the dance too, do you know? Yeah. 
you you lead, they follow, blah, blah, blah. You know, just get through it together because you know the story already. It's just, you know, where's the beginning, middle and end? And you need to you need to fill up those pages so someone can start engaging. You're doing the right thing, dude. That You're doing the exact right thing teaching it that way. Cause that, that's, that is exactly how it is. And you can tell, you know, and people listening to this who aren't JTACs, who aren't pilots, will know, they won't know what we're talking about. When you get a guy and you just can't quite get on the same page with them, it, for me, it's a, I can get on the same page with anybody. Sometimes it takes me a little bit longer. But, you know, if we're rushing ahead and we're missing things like, you know, a piece of the nine line or we're missing whatever, I, I got to be smart enough to reel us back and say, hey, Let's let's start over from here. Let's get those pieces put together because, you know, maybe there's something you're forgetting. I certainly don't want to forget something, especially when we start, you know, letting 30 millimeter fly through the air and smashing bad guys and making pink mist, you know, for everybody. Um, I don't want to I don't want to fuck that up. That's no, absolutely not. I know you were talking about drinking with your buddies and debriefing stuff. And, and that and we all know that obviously JTAC's the only thing coursing through their veins is either black coffee or whiskey. But what are you a snobby guy when it comes to any of that? Oh. I know that I am. Oh yeah, man. I uh, I've got my pinky in the air and all that kind. Of... No, brother. I'm a no. so I'm a beer lover, and I hate to I hate to be that guy. I I I love beer. I love whiskey, but I'm not a yeah. snob. I can appreciate good beer, what I think is good beer, and what I think is good whiskey. But I'm not a snob at all, man. I'll crush, you know, I'll crush uh, things in a in a silver can that are real cheap, and then I'll, you know, I'll uh, open a real expensive bottle of bourbon and. Uh, you know, treat it, treat it badly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't treat it with is the that... respect it deserves. You know, I'll do, I'll do all that stuff. But yeah, I've kind of learned. And I, like you said, I'm sure you have that in, in your community. I know you do because I know, I know you guys. Uh, you have some, you have some aficionados out there, and some folks who really know what they're talking about when it comes to cigars and whiskey and stuff. And I appreciate those guys because that keeps me squared away. So when I speak about scotch and things like that, I can actually sound like I know what I'm talking about, but at the end of the day, I don't, you know, I'm not real picky about it and stuff. I like my black coffee too, though, man. That's a, that is the truth. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest myth for you? Obviously you, you had your um, career as a, as a green beret. And, and I definitely think we need to d- dial back into that at, at some point in our future. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, what was the myths for you? Like you're like, right, I'm going to go fly the A-10. I'm going to go do this. And obviously you'd seen it from the other aspect. And you already had your military service. What changed for you in that sort of that uh, world? Like, uh, so when I got, so when I started flying, you know, is that what you're talking about? I started flying and what, what was different about it than what I thought it would be kind of a thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there are a couple of things. One, it was, it was to get good at stuff, you know, to get good at, uh, to get good at doing close air support. And I've had, I've had my good days for sure, but I take it serious. It was, the myth was, uh, I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it actually was. You know what I mean? It's not easy. It sucks. And you can tell, man, you can tell guys that, you know, even in other airplanes that uh, do close air support, you talk to them and they're like, it just, it sucks, man. Cause we have all this other stuff we got to do. We got to do this air to air stuff. We got to do this. All this. It's, it's tough to be good at it. And that, that was the biggest thing. And the other part is that I, I finally learned, and this is flying in general, but especially going to the A-10 and starting to do close air support, is you never stop learning. You know, there's always something. There's, you can always be better at this stuff. So it requires a lot of intense, shitty self-study. Uh, it, it requires talking to you guys, especially, man. So I, I prefer like this format, a face-to-face type debrief. Um, 
I, w- I want to know how, how I can get better. I'm not there to critique what you're doing. I am there to critique what I'm doing. What, how can I make this better? Because there's going to be a day when it's not a training range. And I've, you know, I've done lots of deployments in the A-10, you know. There's going to be a day where this is real. And none of us have time to figure the shit out as we're going. So that was the biggest myth is it's going to be way easier than it is. And um, it's not, dude. It's hard. And it, yeah. uh, so to speak, and it, it, um, it, uh, but it's cool at the same time because it's totally worth it. You know, it's talk about, talk about satisfaction. You know, when you guys are on the radio. Good job. It's like, yes, those guys think I did a good job. I must have done a good job because I put up with guys like me all the time. So if you had someone uh, starting off in, in coming into the pipeline and, and I mean, specifically the sort of flying community, what three things would you say to them? You're like, we are going to teach you these things. So don't worry about that. Yeah. Like have these things in your bag, in your wheelhouse when you show up day one. Well, the, one of the first things is kind of goes back to what I just said. You have to be, you have to be trainable. There is no point at all where you're going to know it all. So don't pretend that you do. Uh, don't carry that baggage around. Don't put that badge on right away that you know what you're doing because you don't. You can always be better. So show up ready to learn. That's the biggest thing. Um, and if you're talking about flying in general, I'd say you can freaking do it. That's what I want guys in the pipeline are considering to do this. You know, uh, oh, my eyesight's not good enough or I don't have a college degree or I don't know. You can freaking do it. You just, you can do it call me <laughs> text me <laughs> go on do something like that but get just start putting the pieces together you can freaking do it anybody can do it man i'm an idaho public schools kind of guy and look you know i i did it uh, yeah and i love that it, yeah it was great man you can do it that's that's i would say that um you can do it but be ready to learn and the last thing is just be freaking humble too you know i i'm i'm talking a big game but obviously you know it's 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 never been about me i've never made it about me uh, but be humble at the end of the day. You know, we're just, we are, uh, you know, we, we have to be, we have to be humble about what we do. We have to be, we have to be careful. We've got a lot of responsibility. You know, we throw that master arm switch to arm. And you know how many people get to do that in the grand scheme of things? You know how many people actually get to pull a trigger? All that support stuff, all the, all the awesome people that build bombs and load bombs and all that crap for you and me to be able to throw a master arm switch and get that done. That's a massive responsibility. So you have got to be humble about it. And uh, for me, when I, when I talk about, you know, rolling in stuff like that, I, I am saying that cause I'm just excited about it. It's friggin' awesome. You know, the, the culmination of all this training, being able to do it, do a good job and fly home and say, Holy shit. I literally saved some guys. Today. That's friggin' awesome. That's all I ever wanted, you know, to, is to do that. So um, you can do it. Be trainable. Don't ever think you know it all. And be friggin' humble, man, at the end of it. Even if, even if you're getting to that you-know-it-all stage, still be humble about it. Yeah, Roger, mate, like, that's, you're on the money there. What, uh, what's your biggest change? What's the thing that's changed, like, you've seen in, in your time in that aircraft? Oh, um, the biggest change. We're talking about the airplane itself, maybe? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> that thing... That thing changed quite a bit while I was flying. It, I mean, we when I first started flying, it was thumb wheels, you know. And if you want bombs to come off that station, you got to go look out there and say, okay, which one was that? That's station three. So I got to push this big button that says three on it. Click. And some green lights come on or they don't. You know, so that's all very analog shit. And if I want the bombs to come off in a certain, you know, I want three bombs to come off. So I got to set that in my little thumb wheels, dude. These little shitty thumb wheels that are hard to see at night. 
And then you got to say, okay, I, I got to have them come off with a certain, you know, delay between them. So they're not banging into each other on the way to the ground. So I got to set a delay in there. And so now brother, I'm telling you what, it's, it's not that way anymore. It's digital stores management. It is the A-10 is the most data link capable airplane in the planet. I'm sure you, I'm sure you guys have tapped into that and you guys are, we're still trying to figure out a way to explore all the capability that keeps getting rammed into that thing. Uh, new helmet mounted sight stuff, um, new weapons are coming down the pipeline. I mean, it's not necessarily new, but like laser guided rocket stuff. Um, there's going to be a big screen in the A-10 here pretty quick. So we can really see what the targeting pod has to offer now. Cause now it's okay. You know, we're seeing it in the little screen, but we're not getting the full definition that the, that the targeting pod can give us. So it's just technology, man. The last couple of years has really just, it's going through the roof. So better radios, you know, jam completely jam free type radios, uh, electronic warfare pods that can fool everybody. So when you talk about an A-10 not being survivable, you know, in a radar threat and stuff like that, it's just not true, you know? And it's, you know, you, you tend to like look at an airplane and say, okay, by itself, it, am I going to charge downtown, you know, downtown Syria or where, you know, name a place, downtown, wherever, and overlapping SAM rings. I'm going to fight my way in there and fight my way out. You know, nobody's going to do that, dude. I don't care what kind of airplane you're flying. You're going to have bros out there who you've talked to and you've coordinated shit with. So you can go and do what you need to do. I've got the air to air guys to keep all the freaking, you know, all the MIGs off my back while I'm doing my thing. You know, I've got my jammer guys or I'm doing a good job of jamming myself. And now when I'm getting down to, you know, working, working with the guys on the ground, getting down low, I've got, I've got missile warning systems and I've, I've got things that will shoot out flares automatically. But the biggest thing is I got that A-10. And I'm telling you what, man, that is a good feeling um, to be in that A-10. I, you know, I, <laughs> I've come home, like, come home from bullet, uh, come home from sorties with bullet holes in the airplane, and I just was not concerned about it. That's the funny thing, man. You know, just not concerned about it. Well, whatever. It's like I see your seven millimeters, and I raise you twenty-three millimeters. All you yeah. assholes out there. So yeah, it was definitely built for that. So there's, that's the end of the day. You know, that's the coolest thing is all that technology still. You know, you've got the A-10, which is awesome. Purpose-built cast platform. And you've got a guy in there who, that's his job, you know, is to do cast and, is, and to, to pull it all off. So that, that's the coolest thing. So that hasn't changed. The technology stuff makes it easier. But I, I will say that I think, you know, most places, most guys do a good job of training to a level where that shit is gone. You know, we're going to do a day where you don't have the helmet mounted sight. And you see like, oh, man, I've been leaning on that thing pretty heavy. This sucks now not having that. It's so easy. I look outside and see what see what's going on on the ground. I look at my little moving map and shit. And you start taking that step away, and it gets tougher. It gets a lot tougher. But yeah. uh, that's the biggest change. It's technology-wise, just going through the roof. I don't want to I don't want to bundle stuff together. But, like, can you speak about, like, obviously the, the FAC-A element? How, you know, where, what sort of stage in your career that someone would be push towards that and like obviously weapons patching as well sort of how people get selected and what that sort of looks like from your viewpoint that yeah, course yeah yeah yeah. so um so i'm a i uh well i am a weapons school graduate so i went see i got the um i got the coffee mug right here that's all you get yeah. you get a patch yeah. and some mugs anyway Worth uh, it. what i'd say is so for the fat gay thing you don't it's not it is not, you're not automatically going to be a fat kid. You got to kind of prove yourself to be motivated to learn how to do it because you start talking about fat A, you take yourself away from the trigger pulling aspect, showing up, 
having somebody spoon feed you the info about the AO. Then I'm talking to a JCAC who's kind of spoon feeding me stuff about what's going on down there. I put the stuff where it needs to be. I go home and drink whiskey and high five my bros. Um, you want somebody who can put those pieces together. You're racking and stacking airplanes. The radios suck. The weather sucks. The situation sucks. You can't really talk to the guys on the ground too much. Or, you know, if we're doing some kind of something where we're, we're not, you know, working with JTACs, then what's going on down there on the ground? I got to be able to, to tell guys that. So you can't, oh, and by the way, the way we do it, you're flying around by yourself doing all this shit. You know, so if you look at Desert Storm, a lot of those guys that got shot down were single ship fact A's, you know. They got their binos out and like, I'm just going to go a little bit lower. And they got their binos out. They get shot down, you know, because they're trying to they're trying to put pieces of information together, exposing themselves. And they don't have a backup out there. They don't have a wingman out there. So the Air Force does it a little bit different. Um, so you want a guy who, you know, you want a guy who you can see can sort of the, sort of mentally rack and stack, keep track of shit as it's going on. Um, and then be able to provide that picture once you land, you know, you got to that that intel picture that people are going out there to to fly that changes all the freaking time you got to be the guy that can correctly relay that information so when your next guys come in there and look at the map that shit on the map you know it's right and the little debrief about what's going on what got crushed out there and what didn't you know it's correct because you did a good job you know putting all those pieces together so for fact a that's the biggest thing the same thing for weapons school it's you know weapons school for us um, i don't know how much you know about our program you know the weapons school side of it but it's um, basically you come out the end of the thing and you got to shine a new patch on. And it's just like what I talked before when I showed up on my first team, you don't know shit. <laughs> you're, just, you're, you're this, uh, you're this you're brand new guy in this, you know, in this small group of giants, you know what I mean? So you got to, you got to start pedaling hard all over again. Just keep your credibility high as a weapons officer. So you want somebody, like I said before, you want somebody who can, shoulder that responsibility and as a weapons officer i'm like okay i'm weapons officer so by then i've done all the upgrades you can do with me Ted. i'm an instructor i'm a fat gay i'm sandy one i'm all this stuff i fly around at 100 feet pop out flares burn down cactuses strafe shit no problem day or night i'm your guy and then you get done with weapon school you're like oh shit i have so much to learn <laughs> oh. so now the thing is you're the focal point as a weapons officer you know so you got you got a responsibility so you got to be trainable all over again and you got to be freaking humble, man. You got to be, um, you know, you, you, for me, a lot of it was, I have to admit when I don't know something, but at the same time, if some guy comes up to me and he asks me some question, blah, 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 I don't know the answer to it. I have to stop what I'm doing and what I'm doing is probably bullshit anyway, emails or whatever. I got to stop what I'm doing. Me and that guy go together to find that answer. I find the answer and I build some kind of academics out of it because I know if he's thinking it and was brave enough to ask me what's going on, there's a million other people thinking that same thing. So, you know, it's probably, it's probably confusing shit in a manual or something somewhere and they just want to know what's really going on. So I'm supposed to be the guy for that. And so that's the thing. You dedicate your life to that. So you need somebody who's trainable. You need somebody who's humble, you know? Roger that, man. I, uh, I, I can see a theme going uh, through there and I think you're absolutely right. You know, that thing of, uh, you know, remaining trainable and staying humble. And, you know, there's always something new to be learned. It's an important thing just to keep in, in mind every single day of your life, no matter where you are. What's the, um, what's your best dit as we would call it your favorite story or something ridiculous that you saw that you just cannot explain. Oh, let's see. You know, that's the thing we, have, we, because I've got, you know, I had 23 years of uh, military service, very 
varied <laughs> applications. You know, I've got a I've got a billion stories. So are we talking about uh, combat related stuff or just any kind of stuff? Or, uh, let's stick with the uh, the let's uh, two sort of scenarios. One, the funniest thing you've ever seen when you've been you've been in the wheel looking out at somebody else, potentially somebody falling over or something stupid like that, or and the second one uh, um, being, if I was to ask one of your buddies, what's the funniest thing or what's the one story you'll always tell us about? Uh... Okay. Um, all right. So uh, well, I'll keep them both kind of lighthearted. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, and it's, it's hard. I wish I had thought about this question a little bit more because a bunch of things are rushing at me. But I will say one of the funniest things, like this, this is just kind of random shit. So I was on a shooting team to start with, the SOT team, back when I was a Green Beret. And do you want me to talk about pilot stuff or Green Beret stuff? I'm good, man, as long as it's funny. Um, So uh, um, uh, we're getting ready to go somewhere and do this debt where we're going to go run through somebody's shoot house that we've never been in before. So we we order a bunch of MP5 SDs. So for people who are listening and don't know what that is, it's it's a little submachine gun, but it's got an integrated suppressor on it, that thing. Super quiet. Awesome old guy. Uh, so we order a bunch of them. And at some point, they show up to the team room. And um, and uh, I, I, I think that they showed up to the team room. So I walk, I walk up to my team room door, and I punch in the code, and I open the door. And the first thing that hits me is this gunpowder smell. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And I look, and I open the door all the way, and there's a guy who's on my team. Uh, I can I won't say his name all the way, but uh, his name's Tongue. He's uh, one of those. If you know our community, we ha- we do have some guys who were, you know, refugees from Vietnam back in the day who came over to be Green Berets, and they're total badasses. I mean, when I talk about giants, those are the guys I'm talking about. One of the most phenomenal shooters I've ever seen in my entire life. But he's standing there in the middle of the team room. He's holding this MP5 SD, and there's smoke coming out of the barrel. There's brass all over the floor, and in the corner there's a Tacoma phone book just shot to shit. There's pieces of paper, you know, from the phone book fl- floating down. Like, no, like, what's up, brother? We're in this team room, and he's got this MP5. He's like, they came. You want to shoot it? I said, shit, yeah, give me that. <laughs> we're just we, we're inside a building. We're in this brick room. Like we're not even thinking about the shit. But the Tacoma phone book is so thick and useless that it will. I can tell you, it will stop. Uh, a subsonic nine millimeter bullet. I know that to be a fact. So anyway, that's happening. And then, um, you know, uh, somebody, somebody who is actually grown up and responsible comes into the room and they, their reaction was a chief on our team. So the chief is usually kind of a hard ass, you know, and he walks in and he was not amused by what was going and he's screaming, you know, these real guns guys. Oh my God. He's freaking out. And the, the, the thing is completely lost on it that these, this happens to be a real gun and we're shooting it inside. But that, yeah. is, that is one friggin' ridiculous thing, man, that I think back on it now. I was like, what are we doing? It's hilarious. But, you know, the other thing is, um, I think uh, as responsible and stuff as I say I am, there are some moments, you know, during a couple of our deployments, you know, we got a, we got a space where the pilots can hang out, you know, and, we, and it, it's mostly so we can just kind of hang out and, be away from the crowd and watch movies or make phone calls or do whatever. So there's a little place we call it the Bing. I'm sure you've heard of that before, or if you haven't, it's a now a uh, really awesome display at the Pima Air and Space Museum in Tucson. Uh, they took this building, this tiny building apart, piece by piece, and flew it to this museum. 
And so now it's in that museum forever. My name is in there. It's stuff that we had hanging on the walls is in there. It's really cool. But That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that would be, if somebody were, were to say, you know, if you talk in the A10 community, they would say, yeah, there, there would be um, Z, my call sign, Z. Well, it's actually Zaboyca, which is the Polish word for killer. Since I'm a Polak mm. and people think I'm, uh, I'm a killer, I guess, it gave me an impossible to pronounce call sign. So everybody knows me as Z. Um, they say they open the door and it is there. It's the smoke from cigars pours out of the place. And there I am. My sleeves are rolled up. I'm sweaty. I can't really talk anymore because I'm screaming fighter songs as loud as I can. We may or may not have had some whiskey going on, you know. So that's what they, I think that's what they would say. They'd be like, that, that's our guy right there. You know, he, uh, that's what they would remember, I'm sure, about the deployments. Because that's what it is. You know, the rubber meets the road. You can say what you want. You can be the most qualified guy in the world. But when, you know, when you're downrange and you're doing the thing, you know, that's, that's where your metal kind of comes out. And um, that's what people would, would remember or they would talk about. And then they would be careful about what they say after that, because, you know, who knows what kind of illegal activities were going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Russia. Um, so I'll uh, I kind of uh, close it up with a bit of a thing where I'm going to put your A-10 on a desert island runway. You're supporting troops that are operating uh, on the desert island. But you can only take three items with you. What three items do you take to the desert island in order to be able to run yourself effectively? Oh, what three items? Oh, this is the three items question, except it has to do with the A-10. Mm. Um, well, what do you need, man? You need, so first thing I'm going to, first thing I'm going to take is a, is a good old fashioned, uh, uh, Colt 1911. That's what I'm taking. <laughs> a big sexy <laughs> ass 45 pistol. Cause I, it's gotta be about me at the end of the day. Um, oh man, this is dumb. I hadn't, th- I hadn't thought about this too much. I'll probably take, can I mention brand names and stuff like that? <laughs> Go on then. Uh, I'll take a great big bottle of like uh, Knob Creek whiskey or some High West uh, double rye. So I'll make sure I got a supply of that going on. Um, and then the, the thing that I still can't live without, it's sitting out on my, on my counter right now. And I'm going to take it with me. I take it with me everywhere. My freaking Leatherman wave. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten me out it's the most useful thing i've ever had in my freaking entire life 20 plus years of that shit hanging around and it's still still in good shape still doing what it's supposed to do i like that like it's a nice mix of useful and uh you know survival yeah things going on in, in, your, in your little pack there yeah i wish i had thought of it more but there you go man that's what i'm taking i really appreciate you uh taking the time if you were having one closing thought across the whole community obviously you've had a, a long and varied career but also like guys who are still serving, guys who are veterans, what would that message be? Um, I think probably the biggest thing is don't get too settled in. Here, I saw it kind of creep in a little bit as, you know, as we're, geez, let's say 10 years ago or less, eight years ago, whatever it is, we're doing this particular fight. So guys are training for this fight and we have to, you know, we got to train hard for doing what we're doing because it's just getting more complicated. You know, you get more rules of engagement and you get more, you know, this and that, it gets more and more difficult. So we got to focus on one fight. Don't forget, man. Don't forget about the next fight. Don't forget about what's going to happen. I know you get the little briefings and you watch the news on what other countries are doing, potential, you know, adversaries. Don't forget about that shit and be brave enough to bring it up. If you think about something, Hey man, I saw this thing on 
communication jamming. What are we doing? That small little thing you're talking about might be, what do you mean communication jamming? Nobody can jam us. We're the United States Air Force. Fuck that. No, it's not true. You know, it's, it, it, people can do technology is out there or that fight is coming out there. Say something about it, man. If you got a good idea about how to do this stuff, that's where those ideas are born. All this shit that shows up in our manuals, you know, the 3093 and all that stuff. It's not just because it, it's not because these guys who knew what they were doing just sat down one day and and made it up. They had good ideas coming from all over the place. And we still do. So get ready for that next fight, man. Get ready for it. Get ready for those, those, uh, you know, we're going to live in that jamming, um, that jamming scenario. You're going to live in a place potentially, you know, where your casts are playing. There might not be anybody driving. You guys already do that, but there might be a chance. There might be a time out there where cast is super thin. You might wait days for cast. Like I did back when I was, when I was getting started as a green beret, you know, back in my early days, you didn't just get airplanes all the freaking time. You know, it was, it was thin. So you gotta be ready for the next fight, man. If you have, if you have a cool idea, it doesn't even have to be a cool idea. Don't be afraid to say it. Even if you're, the, you're the newest dude, you know, you're maybe the most subjective guy on the planet. Cause you're just showing up. Okay. I'm, I'm paying attention to what you're teaching me. I learned it, but what, you know, what about this? It seems like this would make it easier. This would make it better. But why don't we have this? Say something about it, man, because that generates itself into multi-million dollar products that make your life better. You know, like, you know, like we always say, you know, 100 pounds or the super high tech, awesome state of the art gear is still freaking 100 pounds. You know what I mean? So it doesn't yeah. matter. So, yeah. um, but that's how it turns itself into awesome stuff. That's how it turns into procedure. You know what I mean? That we follow that good shit that makes our lives easier. So don't be afraid of saying something, you know, um, even to crusty old guys, you know, say what you need to, uh, but be ready for the next, that next fight. Now, don't get comfortable with what's going on right now because it, it's coming. You know, we don't get a choice. That's how, mm. that's how it works. So get ready for it. Uh, that. Yeah. I, I would, I would say that with that, with what you've said there, people need to, you know, they need to read what already exists because a lot of the answers you're looking to looking for already exist, or you were taught at one time when someone was hitting you with a fire hose of information on a basic course and you retained what you need to retain to survive that course. Maybe go back and have a read because it probably already exists what you're thinking about. Oh, dude. Oh, I can't tell you the amount of times I'm, blow, you know, opening up an old manual on Vietnam A camps, how they built them. And you're, you're opening that thing and you're like, well, here's the answer right here. These guys did it. You know what I mean? So just like you said, there's stuff, that stuff exists. Don't relearn the same shit. That's just dumb. <laughs> don't, don't, don't relearn a real hard lesson. Guys like you and me have already done it. You know what I mean? So, and our forefathers, you know, our greatest generations have already done that stuff. And a lot of it, a lot of it hasn't changed, you know, like you said, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, this cast thing has been around for a while and the basic concept is still the same, but um, it could be, um, it could be quicker. It could be better. So. Roger that. Thank you for taking the time, Jeff. Appreciate you, it. You got it, brother. Anytime. Call me back sometime. We'll do some uh, Green Beret stories. We'll have fun with that. <laughs> Thank you. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community and we really appreciate them. Thank you everybody for listening.